Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. Jenna, first, good morning. Great to be with you, the queen of talk radio in America. The left does not want to honor our freedoms, and we have a responsibility to fight back. I love talking about the things of God because of truth and the biblical worldview. Fill that void with a vision that runs so deep that it dilutes the woke agenda. Well, thank you, Jenna. Right from the beginning, I knew you, so it's an honor to be with you. You're doing really well. Proud of you. Former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. The Word of God says in Psalm 118, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, because His mercy endures forever. And then it goes on very famously, Psalm 118, 24. What a great verse for a Monday morning. Psalm 118, 24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Hi, Alex McFarland here. So honored to start my week with you this morning. And uh, I've got the privilege all this week, Monday through Friday, of sitting in for Jenna Ellis. And that's a great honor. And you are listening to the American Family Radio Network. And Psalm 118.24, that's a good verse to think about as we get into the news. I'm going to share a lot of news headlines with you. And then we've got a very, very special guest, Bill Federer. William J. Federer, author, historian, just a voice of reason and insight in these times. But Psalm 118.24, this is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, there's a lot in the news to talk about. I want to talk about, among other things, the uh, Oklahoma governor, Kevin Stitt, uh, defunding PBS. Yay. Uh, I have a new hero in Uh, the gubernatorial world, Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma. But, you know, we rejoice in the Lord. We know that God is in control, and we belong to Him. And, you know, whatever the world is doing, and no matter how noisy the culture seems as we are in a battle of worldviews, we rejoice in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, speaking of that, i got to say a big shout-out to the people of Florence, South Carolina. Yesterday, I was at Hoffmeyer Baptist Church in Florence. They have two campuses and had the privilege. Um, I got in from Colorado. I was in Colorado last week, uh, Friday night, in a big, big event with Dinesh D'Souza. And uh, that was a great event, just an amazing, amazing packed auditorium of people excited about the country, excited about our future. Uh, Dinesh, a uh, longtime friend, I've known him almost 20 years. He gave an amazing God and country kind of message. And then I flew and went to South Carolina. Well, I got to give a big shout out to Pastor Greg Batchelor, uh, one of his elders, Mark Wells. We uh, were with them in three services yesterday, got to talk to hundreds of people. Uh, incredible altar call last night. I was challenging people to pray for, number one, pray for lost friends, and also pray for the country. And um, so I just want to say a big shout out to people around the country that, like Psalm 118.24, they are rejoicing in the Lord. They do know that this is the Lord's day. Now you think about this, and then I'm going to bring up uh, my dear friend William Federer. This is God's day. This is the day the Lord has made. Uh, you know, the, the left and the woke world didn't make this day. Uh, the, uh, the, the global 
cabal of leaders that, you know, I, I speak somewhat facetiously because, you know, I hear all these stories of, you know, this group is running the economy and this group, you know, planned the COVID pandemic. I don't know. Only God knows. I don't know any of that, but I know what. There's nobody, the left, uh, the International Tribunal of Malicious Leaders, if they do exist. I don't know. I know this is God's day. And my friend, you're in this day, and God made you, and the Lord loves you, and this is the day the Lord has made. And because this day belongs to God, and because if you're a believer, you belong to God, we do rejoice in it. And we face each hour confidently, uh, very mindful of who we are and whose we are. Well, I want to get into some headlines and just talk about you know, so much. Uh, this, if if Wikipedia was a human being, it might be Bill Federer. He is just so knowledgeable on so many things. It's always a privilege to speak with him, and he's made some time to be with us this morning on AFR in the Morning. Uh, Bill, uh, good morning, my friend. Hey, it's great to be with you, Alex. Well, it's great to be with you, and I appreciate you making time. Uh, you and I, I saw you on a screen last week. We were in a Zoom meeting together, but uh, before I throw some headlines at, at you for analysis and insight. Give us an update on what are you doing these days and tell people where they can find the American Minute. Oh, well, thank you. Um, Thursday, I spoke at the Missouri State Capitol and their rotunda for the National Day of Prayer. And then I spoke at a dozen churches across uh, Missouri. Uh, the week before, I was in Montana, Troy, Montana, uh, Pastor Eric and Leslie, um, at the uh, Troy uh, Christian Fellowship. Uh, then I was in uh, California with um, uh, Pastor Phil Hudson Pillar, and he started um, an American faith uh, uh, outreach with news. And uh, it was a wonderful event. Uh, Kim Walker Smith sang. She's a, a outstanding praise and worship leader. But every week I'm somewhere else. Uh, next week I'll be in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and then in South Dakota. But I do see a uh, dividing taking place, and I sort of feel like God is intentionally pushing it to where the evil is coming out of the closet. I mean, Satan clubs on school campuses. Oh, my God. Uh, And and in Boston, uh, did you see, uh, I guess now it's about nine or ten days ago, Satan Con in Boston. It was like, you know, there are affinity groups, car shows. Comic Con. Well, there was Satan Con in Boston uh, a week and a half ago. Did you see that convention? Yes. Yeah, yes. You, but and, you're right. Ev- evil is coming out of the closet. Yeah, and it's, and on the other side, I think God is having His people be bolder than ever before. And and as we get closer to the end, whenever the Lord's timing is, it, it's literally going to be a choice between God and the devil. <laughs> it's like, it will, okay, truly. Well, let's pull the curtains aside. Uh, you choose. And then it's interesting. There are going to be those that are doing evil. And then there are going to be those that are silent in the face of evil. And by their silence, they're going to be giving consent to the evil. You know, a verse we're all familiar with is Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. The verse right before it says, confront your neighbor directly so you will not be held guilty for their sin. Another translation says, rebuke your neighbor publicly 
so you'll not incur their guilt upon you. And so here they are. Oh, I, I love you. I, I, I don't want to, you know, tell him what he's doing wrong. No, you're supposed to. And um, some Bible well, and stories. and isn't this isn't that a starkly different message than the tolerant, you know, go along to get along message of, you know, uh, the the world just says uh, we're supposed to love people and tolerate, but no, the Word of God tells us that in love we warn sinners so that they can turn to Christ and and be redeemed. Yeah, and some of the verses, you know how. At a wedding ceremony, um, there's a a chapter in the Bible, Numbers chapter 30. I mean, who reads that, right? It's sort of an obscure (laughs) chapter. But it's the the silence equals consent chapter. So there's a half a dozen scenarios. One is if a daughter is still living in her father's house in her youth, and she binds herself with a vow. In the day the father hears it, if he's silent, her vows stand. But in the day the father hears it, if he disallows it, she's released from the vow. The Lord forgives her. So that's come down to us as vows in a wedding ceremony. And the pastor tells the congregation, if you're silent, you're giving consent to these vows. Well, if a church member's silence gives consent to wedding vows, it gives consent to other things. And if they're killing babies and you're silent, you're giving consent to killing babies. Right, right. Leviticus, Leviticus 19 says, when you enter the promised land, if any Israelite or foreigner living amongst you sacrifices a child to Moloch, that person shall be put to death. If any member of the community closes their eyes when that man sacrifices a child to Molech, I, myself, the Lord, will set my face against that man and his family and cut them off from Israel. All you have to do is shut your eyes while they do the evil, and you're guilty. Uh, One story is, um, I think it's Numbers 20, God calls Aaron and Moses to the door of the tabernacle, and says, uh, Moses, gather the assembly, you and Aaron, take the rod, speak to the rock, water will come out. Well, Moses gets them together and hits the rock once, hits the rock twice, water comes out. At the end of the chapter, it says, Aaron will not go into the promised land because both of you rebelled against me at the waters of Meribah. It's like, both? What did Aaron do? He didn't say anything. He didn't do anything. Yeah, that's just it. He heard God tell Moses, speak to the rock. When Moses lifted up the staff and hit the rock the first time, that was Moses's sin. When he lifted up the staff the second time, Aaron knew what was coming, and he didn't say anything. He didn't protest. He didn't say, whoa, Moses, hold on, hold on a second. I heard God. The second time of hitting the rock was Aaron's sin because he was silent. And so there are sins of commission and sins of omission. And when, so they have a tactic. And it's to guilt trip Christians into being more Christian than Christ. Well said. You'll tolerate them. If you're really Christian, you'll tolerate them teaching something to kids that Jesus would never teach. I mean, Jesus taught in the beginning God made them male and female. But they're saying if you're really really Christian, you'll tolerate us teaching something that the trans agenda and, and Christians tolerate everything. Christians are like wet cardboard. I mean, you can kill a baby yeah. right in front of them. Christian won't do anything. They're just nothing. And and here Jesus says, if you allow one of these little ones that believes in me to stumble, better that a millstone be put around your neck and you'd be thrown in the depths of the sea. So all these hey, Bill, Bill, I was thinking about something. I've I got to say this. Forgive me for jumping in here. But, you know, uh, Vance Havner, do you know that name, the evangelist Vance Havner from many years ago? Uh, uh, peripherally. 
yeah, uh, yeah. He, uh, he, directly. he was kind of a famous guy. I mean, he was the guy that urged Billy Graham to be, become an evangelist. And uh, But anyway, Vance Havner, one time, and this was, goodness, 50, 60 years ago, but he said, there's no entity in world history that uses up more raw material but turns out such a poor product as the church. And and exactly what you said, the church tolerates anything, programs, expenditures, things that just go on and on. But it's almost like the cancel culture sees themselves as more righteous than God. I mean, they they you're not allowed to call out any sin, and if somebody ever said anything that runs afoul of the cancel culture uh, world, you know, they, in righteous, righteous indignation, want to expunge people's existence from, you know, the Internet. Isn't it something how—and I think you and I have talked about this, but cancel culture is like a religion, and they have their own form of church discipline, you know? I mean, uh, they, they will cancel people, silence people, and they, like you say, more more Christian than Christ, even, uh, which is false. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, an awakening. It's a message that we need to remind people. You know, uh, Acts 22, the Apostle Paul is talking to the Lord, saying what a bad guy he used to be. And he says, And when the blood of thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death. Paul did not throw a stone. Paul didn't even say anything like egging him on. He just stood there silent, and he knew he was guilty for the death of Stephen. All you have to do is just be silent, close your eyes, let them do the evil thing, and uh, you don't try to stop them. Or, uh, uh, one of the other ones is um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, he said, he who passively accepts evil is as much involved in it as he who helps to perpetuate it. He who accepts evil without protesting protesting it is really cooperating with it. So I think as we get to the end times, there are going to be those that are doing evil, those that are silent in the face of evil, and by their silence, they're they're giving their consent. They're yeah. siding with evil. And then there are going to be the others that say, you know what, I, I, I stretched the rubber band and tolerated something I didn't feel good about. And then I stretched the rubber band a little more and I tolerated something else I didn't feel good about. But I'm sorry, I, I just can't go with hysterectomies on eight-year-old girls where they're still playing with dolls and, mm. and chemically treasuring little boys because they, they want to play dress up one time. Uh, I'm sorry. Hold I that thought. We've and, got to take they... a break. Folks, this is AFR in the morning. Alex McFarland here sitting in for Jenna Ellis, our very special guest, Bill Federer. Headlines, facts, encouragement, standing strong for truth, and standing strong in Christ. Don't go away. We're back up to this. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Jenna Ellis in the Morning, Alex McFarland, honored to be sitting in. We've got a great week, folks, by the way. We've got a number of guests and topics we'll be talking about this week, so please uh, spread the word. I'm very honored to be sitting in uh, every morning this week for Jenna Ellis, and also you can hear me 3 to 4 Central every day 
4 to 5 Eastern, and so forth in the time zone of your choice, Exploring the Word, which is also heard live Monday through Friday on the American Family Radio Network. Uh, Folks, if you're just tuning in, you know, in the course of worldview content and defending truth, standing up for God and country, you know, a few colleagues I've ever known have just meant as much as uh, Bill Federer. He's a prolific author. I highly recommend all of his books. And um, before the break, he was in the middle of a thought that I want to resume. But Bill, uh, give your website if you would. It's funny, I didn't know you and I would be on this week, but about a week ago, I was doing some research for a presentation, and I had the book that your ministry put out, Miracles in American History. Um, Do you have a volume two of that, or is uh, that—how many books have you written, Bill? I've got to ask you that. How many books have you done? Hey, Bill, you there? I'm Bill? sorry, I hit the uh, mute button. Uh, oh, that's uh, okay. Turn the break. Yeah, how, how many books but have yet, you written? Uh, it's about 30, and um, oh. uh, Miracles in American History, we have a volume one, and then a volume two that we even include revivals in there, and missionaries to Hawaii and to Burma, and Billy Sunday, the baseball player that became a preacher, and Billy Graham, and um, the uh, D.L. Moody, the shoe salesman uh, in Chicago yeah. that became an evangelist, and um, and then we had um, uh, D. James Kennedy Ministry decided to take the two volumes and put it into a really beautiful hardback gift edition with every page being in color uh, for a donation to their ministry. They, and they gave us the, the, the rights to the book uh, after they were finished. And so now we have that as a special gift edition with 50 stories. And, uh, but there are inspiring wow. stories at times in our country's past where there's a crisis. We pray and things turn around. So, so let me ask you this, um, and I think this is on the minds of so many people. I mean, clearly, clearly, our nation was founded on biblical principles. And, um, you know, uh, you, you and I both teach at Karis Bible College, and I do, in their School of Practical Government, I'll, I'll do a semester-long course on the miracle of America, and just... My goodness, from James Madison, uh, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, Alexander Hamilton, George Washington, Benjamin Rush. I mean, just literally dozens and dozens and dozens of the founders that we can quote. And they had this vision that the principles of God's Word would be woven into the principles of good civil government. And for two and a half centuries, we've had America. Uh, Now, that being the case, here's the question Uh, my historian friend. Um, Clearly, the nation was founded on biblical principles by biblical people, and yet we're about as backslidden and carnal as a culture could get, and um, seemingly growing worse by the day. Uh, Help me understand this apparent dichotomy, a godly founding but an ungodly present. What what gives? Um, well, there were two waves of pastors that influenced the founding of America. The first wave was the 1600s, and these were Calvinist Puritans, and they came up with a covenant form of government where we can rule ourselves without a king. And so I spent several years researching every century of recorded human history the most common form of government is kings. Nimrod, Pharaoh, Caesars, Kaiser, Sultan, Tsars, Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar, Chilazan, uh, they're kings. And so you get into the 1500s, the Reformation, and 
percentages of countries were becoming Protestants. And the King of Spain uh, sent his Iron Duke of Alba to Antwerp, Holland in 1572, and he killed tens of thousands of Protestants, um, called the Spanish Fury. Uh, The Queen of France, Catherine de' Medici, 1572, does the St. Bartholomew's Day Massacre. What's that? Um, She uh, decides to marry her daughter, Margaret, to the main Protestant leader, Henry of Navarre. And they have a big wedding in Paris. Two days after the wedding, she has them pull chains across the street so the carriages can't get out. She sends her soldiers house to house. They kill 30,000 Protestant leaders, throw their body in the Seine River, fills it up, right? And um, now we... There were Protestants that killed Catholics, and there were Protestants that killed Protestants, and Catholics that killed Catholics. You know, the Spanish killed the French. So there's a lot of killing going on. We don't want to lay blame uh, in that way. But over in Switzerland, you got a guy named John Calvin, and he's wrestling with Romans 13, which says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. And it's like, okay, uh, We've got good kings, we've got bad kings, but what if you literally have a king that wants to ha- wants to kill your wife and kids? Are you supposed to say, okay, here they are, you got to kill them? It's like, mm. um, and so he begins to write stuff like, when kings disobey God, they automatically abdicate their worldly power. And then his institutes, John Calvin says, we are subject to the men who rule over us, but subject only in the Lord. If they command anything against him, let us not pay the least regard to it. It's this idea that the Bible says children obey your parents. But what if right. there is a parent that tells the kid to sell drugs, sell themselves into prostitution, kill the neighbor? Is the kid supposed to obey? No, the child obeys the parent as long as the parent's telling him to do something that lines up with God's word. So you obey the government as long as the government's telling you to do something that lines up with God's word. So Martin Luther King Jr.'s letter from the Birmingham jail, 1963, right. one may well ask, How can you advocate breaking some laws and obeying others? The answer lies in the fact that there are two types of laws, just and unjust. One has not only a legal but a moral responsibility to obey just laws. Conversely, one has a moral responsibility to disobey unjust laws. I would agree with St. Augustine that an unjust law is no law at all. How does one determine? This is, again, Martin Luther King, Jr. How does one determine whether a law is just or unjust? A just law is a man-made law that squares with the moral law or the law of God. In other words, God's not going to command you to do something in the Bible and then command you to submit to a government that's telling you not to do what he just commanded you to do. <laughs> right, right. And so so these Calvinist Puritans began to develop how to have a government without a king. And they, they took the power of a king, give it to the people. But if it's just that, it would be chaos. And then so the people have to be taught the law. But even then, they would be individuals, and so it's people that are taught the law in covenant with each other and with God. So you get blessings from God, and you voluntarily share them with your neighbor as charity, because you're doing it as unto God. And so this was the plan that these Calvinist Puritan pastors brought to New England. That's why they taught Hebrew at Yale and Harvard. It's a great plan. Uh, oh, yeah. After a century of it, after a century, it became sort of dry. And these professors became a little stodgy, and, you know, they were called old lights. And David Brainerd got expelled from Yale because he was overheard saying his professor was as spiritual as a chair. And so (laughs) in the 1700s, you have the new lights, and the new lights are these revivalists that trace themselves back to Lutheran pietists. 
Right. And, uh, their background is Martin Luther starts the Reformation, 1517. Uh, some German princes say, this is my chance. We're going to break from Rome. And they tell their kingdom, I just decided you're all going to be Lutherans. And the people in the kingdom were like, okay, king, uh, what do we believe? And so it's, it's not a personal experience. And so a revival movement starts called pietism that said being a Christian is more than a plan, more than a government mandate. You have to have an experience with Jesus. And when you do, your life will change, and you won't do worldly things you used to do, like go to mm-hmm. bars and brothels and lewd theater and get involved in government. Wait, what was that last thing? Yeah, government <laughs> full of worldly people. If you're really a Christian, you won't be involved. And so that turned into the German concept of the two kingdoms, the kingdom of the church and the kingdom of the government, and the two don't touch. There were even German princes that donated money to the pietists so they would teach their people not to get involved in the prince's business. And four centuries of that allowed Hitler to put Jews on train cars. They're going by the church screaming for help, and the church's response was, well, that's the government doing that. We're the church, and this, well, that's their circle, and we can't touch their circle because we're the church circle. So, so, so let's just sing praise songs to Jesus louder. Bill, and, and hey, I see there's something wrong with that. I, I want to throw a term out there, and folks, listen up. If you've ever been, you know, chided or or given a little slap on the wrist by friends who say, "Well, you know, either we." are Christians, or we're civically engaged. And it's a false dichotomy. Bill, I've had pastors, many pastors say to me, as recently as about two or three weeks ago, we were in Tennessee, and I was calling pastors, come out to our event, hear Abe Hamilton, and hear Will and Mickey Addison, and we're, you know, truth matters. That was the theme of my most recent conference. And um, every now and then, pastors, they'll throw out this false dichotomy. Uh, And they'll say, well, you know, Alex, I wasn't called to make Americans. I was called to make disciples. Well, it's both and, not either or. And like like you say, uh, either we're in church or we're involved in the culture. You know, either we're serving God or we're serving man. It's like Augustine wrote in City of God. You know, we do both. I mean, uh, until we're in the City of God, we do have an obligation to the City of Man, don't we? Yeah, so I I tell people that the most important thing is to bring people to Christ. Yes, but the second obviously. most important thing, the second most important thing is to preserve the freedom to do the most important thing. If you really believe the gospel is the answer, you're going to be involved wanting to preserve the freedom to preach the gospel. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it it is a personal experience with Jesus, but we want to be involved so our kids can have a chance to have a personal experience with Jesus. And right now, they are targeting the kids. There's been, they have what they call the pyramid of oppression. It's, uh, and at the top of the pyramid, the oppressors are the cisgendered. What's a cisgendered? That's the name mm-hmm. they call you if you believe in a man and a woman. From so the Latin word, CIS means same. Uh, so, in other words, you're living out the gender you were born with, or ass- they, they would say assigned. We know gender is not assigned. There are males and females, but cis, C-I-S. And Bill, by the way, you bring up a whole other subject we ought to talk about sometime, is the crazy make-believe lexicon that's been created up around the LGBTQ trans movement. Transphobic, cisgendered, 
you know, uh, polyamorous. Uh, to to accommodate all the deviancies, I mean, there's just this this fanciful lexicon that's had to be created for this, isn't it? Yeah, and there's a lot of philosophers that talk about whoever controls the language wins the argument. But but they go in and they tell these little kids, if if you're at the top of the pyramid, you're the evil oppressor. And none of these kids want to be the evil oppressor, so they'll pick anything down the pyramid. Bisexual, intersexual, transsexual, uh, whatever sexual, but they don't want to be at the top of the pyramid, the ones who believe that there is a male and a female. They've had a 900% increase of trans-identifying kids in the last two years. This is immensely effective. They've realized that little kids and all of us are social creatures, and we all want to be accepted, and we do not want to be rejected. Uh, yeah, and exactly. And they've weaponized it. They've hey, let me, let me just... Up- let me throw something in here, folks. I don't know if you've seen this as a headline today. It's great. Oklahoma Governor uh, Kevin Stitt defunds PBS. And, uh, of course, the liberals and public television. And look, anybody that's even got a thimbleful of cultural savvy knows how leftist PBS has been for decades. And so the Oklahoma Educational Television Authority... They spend, you know, millions. And so Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma said that uh, we don't need a taxpayer-funded entity that supports a political position. And there have been—now listen to this on PBS— drag queen—I'm not even going to read the title of a children's show about um, transgenderism because the title is just not polite to even read it, but Sesame Street— and uh, pro-trans programming aimed at children. PBS has just been rife with all of this for years. And so let me, for one thing, I want to applaud a Republican Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt, and I hope other governors will look after the interests of the taxpayers in their states and defund these leftist state-maintained propaganda machines. But, Bill, to your point... Um, you're right. We are social creatures. Nobody wants to be ostracized. And if a traditional value, heterosexual male-female child, is bludgeoned into thinking that they're the villain, yeah, of course, impressionable kids and sometimes even um, weak, convicted adults, they'll cave rather than be painted as the aggressor or the villain, won't they? Yes, uh, most of the world calls this honor-shame culture. Yeah, in, the, yeah. in China and the Far East and, and in Islam, the Uma, the community, if you are honored in front of the community, your worth goes up. If your daughter shames you and embarrasses you, they'll murder their own daughter. The, the acceptance or rejection by a group is very powerful. Saul Alinsky said, ridicule is man's most potent weapon. Uh, this made fun, made fun of in front of a group. Uh, cults, they have their power because they threaten to kick you out of the group, and so you'll end up conforming. Um, mm. But um, I hear the music, but there's, there's yes. a whole lot there. But, but Jesus Hold that thought, folks. 
Uh, uh, Bill, what a joy to have you on. Stay with us, if you will. Bill Federer, folks, Alex McFarland sitting in for Jenna Ellis. Jenna Ellis in the morning on the American Family Radio Network. We're, we're back after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Alex McFarland here, honored to be sitting in this morning for Jenna Ellis in the Morning on the American Family Radio Network. Hey, two things before we resume our conversation with Bill Federer. Uh, You know, we talk about the world and how we need to, you know, restore our nation, and uh, we certainly pray to the Lord to do that and send a revival. Uh, But one thing that I want to make people aware of are our summer youth camps. It's been my joy for 25 years to do summer camps, and just in the past couple of years, we've really ramped it up. We we had four camps last year with 650 teenagers, Uh, and whenever we do youth camps, I mean, we do all the fun stuff. I'm I'm a 59-year-old kid still. We do the ropes course and horseback riding and all that fun stuff, but we drill down deeply into the Word of God, and 25% of all the kids will make a salvation decision and accept Christ. The rest usually are believers. Believers, but we try to challenge them to know biblical worldview, to stand strong for truth. This summer, we're doing seven youth camps, and we'll have roughly 1,200 kids. Uh, we're Georgia, uh, Colorado, Iowa, New Jersey. And so the website for my summer youth camps is equipretreat.org, equipretreat.org. Org. And then um, I'm going to be at the Cove. You grown-ups, we, we have summer camp for you grown-ups. It's not camp. It's really awesome. But I'll be at the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina, July 7 through 9. And we'll be finishing up our study of First and Second Peter. And the theme is Thriving Till He Comes, First and Second Peter. So uh, you can go to the website, thecove.org, and I would love to see you there. And it always fills up. Folks, if you've never been to the Cove. Oh my goodness. It is world class. And uh, Angie will be there and we would love to see you. And we'll we'll get into the Word of God and we'll talk about how God can use each one of our lives to not only point people to Christ, but to be salt and light in our culture. Well, somebody who's been salt and light and oh my goodness, he's touched millions of lives, my own included. That's William J. Bill Federer. Bill, I want to thank you for being with us. Give us your website again before we uh, go too much farther. Give us your website, Bill. Well, thanks, Alex. It's AmericanMinute.com, AmericanMinute.com. And I send out a almost daily uh, history email and try to find something in history that applies to what is going on today. Yes. Um, hey, uh, have you ever been to the Cove? Yes, it's totally outstanding. Um, oh my God! Uh, in, uh, an oasis where you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, and I love the museum part where you see these pictures of Billy Graham all over the world in China and in, you know Mexico and Korea. It's like the, the impact that he made, uh, and it all started with a, a young man. Uh, I yeah. think it was Youth for Christ when he, he came to the Lord, and very yeah. inspiring. Um, and, and anybody that has a chance to go there, please go. You, you will, you, you'll just be so blessed. And uh, uh, amen. And get you, you direction know, it, from the Lord. And it, be, being the student of history that you are, 
And like Billy Graham, you know, I've read about how a guy named Albert Macon invited him to go to the tent revival. Mordecai Ham was an evangelist in Charlotte, and this guy, I think his name was Albert Macon, who was about 24 years old, they took a farm truck and got eight or ten teens and took them to this tent revival, and Billy Graham came to Christ. And, of course, history began to be made. But, Bill, uh, doesn't history very often turn on the obedience of, like, one person or something like that? Just a decision, and God can bring so many wonderful repercussions. Yeah, uh, I just wrote a new book called Believe, and I started to get into some interesting things. And uh, one is God knows the future, but in a sense, he knows all the possible futures. And Mm. he tells you what they are, and he lets you choose, and he's smart enough to know how you're going to choose. But you look at Deuteronomy 28, he tells the children of Israel, if you hearken to the voice of the Lord, this will be your future. You'll be blessed coming in, blessed coming out. You'll be the head, not the tail. If you do not hearken to the voice of the Lord, this will be your future. The diseases of Egypt will come upon you. The stranger will come in amongst you, rise up above you. You have the Jeremiah, the prophet, goes to King Zedekiah and says, if you surrender to the king of Babylon, Jerusalem will be spared. If you do not surrender to the king of Babylon, Jerusalem will be burnt to the ground. <laughs> and so God, you know, he created everything. I was looking at the um, Hubble Space Telescope videos. 2003, they focused it on a spot in the sky where there was nothing. spot was the size of a grain of sand held between your fingers at arm's length against the night sky. Nothing there. After 11 days, they developed the images. In that spot was 10,000 galaxies with hundreds of billions of stars in each galaxy. And uh, with light traveling in waves, it's called the Hubble Ultra Deep Space Field, the furthest picture ever taken away from planet Earth. And with light travels in waves, with blue being the shortest, fastest wave, red being the slowest, longest wave, they saw the red shift, which means these galaxies are moving away from us. And they now estimate the observable universe is 93 billion light years across and still Mm -hmm. expanding at the speed of light. And the largest star they found is Stevenson 2-18. It's a super gas giant. It's so large, if you were to place it in our solar system, it would engulf the orbit of Saturn, the sixth planet from the sun. We're the third planet from the sun. Could you imagine wow. one single star that enormous, and God made it all, and he made you? Yes. Why would he make you? I mean, what could you offer a being that is that powerful? Nothing, except maybe something. What's a galaxy anyway? It's a bunch of rocks. Hot rocks, cold rocks, vaporized rocks, molten. A rock cannot love you. Yes. So at some time in eternity past, and in God's infinite wisdom, he, it's almost like he said, been there, done that. I can make everything. I would really like someone in my image that could love me. Now it gets interesting, because love, by definition, must be voluntary. The moment it's forced, it evaporates. And so in this context of everything God created and controls, time, matter, space, energy, he intentionally created something he does not control, your will. Now, he could control it if he wanted to, but that would Mm. defeat the very reason he made you different than everything else. He doesn't need your love. He's not incomplete, and your love somehow completes. He doesn't need your love, but he wants it. Parents don't Bill, need the love of their children, but they want it. Bill, you just made a very profound statement. Folks, listen to this. This is amazing. You you said God intentionally made something that he doesn't control, which is our will. And, you know, I think about this. 
Um, you remember Job said to his wife, Job said, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And I think about this. Now, folks, every day has its challenges, but we, we choose to trust Jesus. We choose to love the Lord. We Hopefully, by the Spirit's leading, we're grateful. See, here's the deal. Satan was going to let me live and die and go into eternity separated from God forever. The Bible says Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And one of the reasons that, Bill, one of the reasons that I want to love Jesus, and I, I, I see his blessings all around, but look, I want to volitionally choose to trust my Lord, to love my Lord, to grow, to follow my Savior, because I think when we redeemed humans, we use our free will to choose to follow Christ and trust Him. We're, we're spitting in Satan's eye. <laughs> Don't you think it's to use our free will to trust God? Because uh, we're saying, devil, you tried, but, but you didn't get me. I, I got saved. I'm growing. I'm following Jesus. Uh, good times, hard times, all times. And we're going to spit in the devil's eye by trusting our Lord all the more each and every day. That, that's the, that's the, the perspective to have, isn't it? Well, it definitely is. And, uh, the, you know, God, God created light. Uh, travels at 186,000 miles per second, and Einstein's theory of relativity is if you could travel the speed of light for you, time would stand still. Well, God created light. He's faster than light, so for God, time effectively stands still. In other words, for him to create our reality, he had to create something that moved in slow motion compared to him. There's a verse in the Bible that says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. In other words, we get to make our little free will decisions, but he's outside of time. He can readjust every atom in the universe so that his will is going to take place. It's like Mordecai goes to Esther and says, God's going to deliver the Jews. If you don't do it, he's going to raise up somebody else that does it, right? And so the, um, but when we get to love, this is interesting. What's the most important thing in your life? Well, somewhere at the top of the list, it's loving and being loved. And if we're made in God's image, could it be that loving and being loved is a big deal to God? And, um, and it's interesting because, um, he loved everything he created, but could his creation love him back? I mean, everything he makes, he controls. Uh, laws of planetary motion, laws of gravity, laws of physics, laws of optics. Everything works by laws. And um, even, you know, animals, the little puppy, as cute as it is, it's just following its instinct that's programmed into it. And, um, uh, and I looked up the word angel in the King James Bible. It appears 289 times. Never once does it say the angels love God. Not one verse. They worship really? him, they praise him, they glorify him, they smite his enemies, they deliver his judgments, they deliver his messages to Daniel and Ezekiel and Mary. They are heavenly witnesses. Jesus says, I'll confess you before the angels. They um, rejoice when a sinner converts, but they are not made in the image of God, and Jesus did not die on the cross for angels. They are mentally... The angels cannot forgive. Uh, angels wow. are brilliant beings, they're intelligent beings, they're powerful beings, but they were made for a purpose. What purpose were you and I, you and I made for? We're not very intelligent, and we're not very powerful. Why would God make us? What could we offer God? The word love is used all throughout the Bible to describe men and women's relationship with God. Love the right. Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Psalms 91, because he said his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. Jesus rises from the dead and asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? 
We are beings created for the purpose of loving God. But for love to be love, it must be voluntary. If God were to force you to love him in the smallest way, he himself would know he's forcing you to love him, and he would know your response is not a love response. So he will never force you to love him. But he wants your love. And um, But the second thing is he has to hide himself behind his creation. Because if he ever appeared to you in all of his universe-creating omnipotent power, brighter than a trillion trillion suns, your response, if you didn't melt, would be like the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. I to to fall down dead. prostrate. <laughs> it would be involuntary in the presence of all power. And God's like, I can do involuntary responses all eternity long. I'm interested in this voluntary thing. So he hides himself. People say, if God's real, why doesn't he show himself? Because the moment he shows himself, your free will's gone. And the same yeah. hiding of himself that allows us an opportunity to have a free will necessitates that we have faith. People say, oh, if God can just show himself, yeah, you wouldn't need faith, but you wouldn't have a free will. In the presence of all power and all love and all beauty, it's going to be an instantaneous response. And so involuntary. Uh, I, I use the example of a billionaire has a son who goes to college, flies in on his private jet, drives up in his Lamborghini, Rolex watch, gold rings. He's going to have every girl on campus wanting to meet him. But right, if he lays that right. aside, drives up in a clunker, he's going to, all the uppity girls are going to ignore him. But then there's a girl that likes to study with him in the library. They eat together in the cafeteria. They become friends. And she takes heat from the clique for hanging around this nobody guy. But she believes in him. They fall in love. They get engaged. And then one day he says, hey, I want to take you back to meet my dad. And they're like driving up to this immense castle mansion. And the girl's like, whoa, you didn't tell me about all this. He knows that she loves him for him, not because of all of his stuff. Right. If Jesus would have come to earth in all of his glory, every political ladder climber would be like, oh, I'm your friend. I love you. It's like, no. He only wants those that love him for him. And so he's born in a manger. He, it says in Isaiah 53 of the Messiah, there's nothing in his countenance that would make us want to desire. And, 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 and you know, Bill, the, the, this is why this is the greatest story ever told. I mean, you know, the the infinite God creating the fall, then out of love, God's plan of redemption. Jesus, the King of Kings, the name above all names, is born in a manger. And, uh, you know, it says he came into his own and his own received him not. And, you know, whether it be any love story written or any tragedy or any, you know, inspiring story from, from the works of Shakespeare to the poetry of, of uh, John Whitcomb Riley, you know, The Pathway Home. It, it, why great art literature and music stirs our heart, because ultimately the best art literature and music, and by the way, folks, this is what you might call an aesthetic argument for the biblical worldview, the great stories point us to the greatest stories, which just so happens to be reality, the true story, the story of our Savior. I mean, Bill, I'm not, I'm not being trite. Uh, it literally is the greatest story ever told, isn't it? Well, it is. And there's a third thing, and God's just, and he cannot help it, which means he has to judge every sin. Because if he doesn't judge a sin, by default, he's giving consent to the sin. And if God mm. gives consent to one sin, one time, he denies his just nature. He denies himself. He ungods himself. He's kicked out of heaven. And he's not going to get kicked out of heaven. He's not going to deny himself. So he has to judge every sin. So he came up with a plan. And as a matter of fact, the plan he came up with before he created anything, and the plan was his own son would become the lamb and take the judgment for all of our sins. So, and so Charles Wesley's 
amazing love. How could it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? So God, oh my goodness. Judges, he judges every sin, but he's love and that he provided the lamb to take the judgment. Hey, we've only got a second. I got to ask you, is God going to send a revival to America, Bill? Uh, I think so. I think the same way his power is concentrating global is evil. He's wanting to separate, get more people involved locally and more revival. Amen. Folks, this is Jenna Ellis in the morning. Alex McFarland sitting in. I'll be back Tuesday through Friday. God bless you. Keep your radio tuned to AFR. Stand strong for truth and may God bless you. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.